Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive with Dr. Rebecca Risk. Do you ever feel that even though nothing seems seriously wrong and you pass all the medical tests, that you still feel that your health, pain, and fatigue are completely out of control? It doesn't have to be that way. Listen to the tips and suggestions given on our program today and take back control of your health. Now, here is Dr. Rebecca Risk. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Falling Through the Cracks. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Neil Barnard. Dr. Barnard is an adjunct associate professor of medicine at the George Washington University School of Medicine and Health Sciences in Washington and president of the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine and founder of Barnard Medical Center. Today, we're discussing his book, The Vegan Starter Kit. So, Neil, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Great to be with you today. So what inspired you to put this book together? Well, I've written a number of books about how people can put foods to work for, to improve their health, to lose weight or get their cholesterol down or, or deal with chronic pain or whatever. But I have to say, every book I ever wrote, was as, it was big enough to prop open a door. And I thought, you know, I wanted to have a book that would be something that a person could read in 45 minutes and it would show them how to start a vegan diet because we've been using them in research studies with tremendous success. But it sounds hard for people, and so I thought, let me make it easy and let me just put it all together, and that's why I called it a kit rather than a book. So the the Vegan Starter Kit is everything you need to know to to confidently begin and hopefully get it really quickly and easily. Well, it it is exactly what you said. It, It was an easy read, but I found that you know, it was full of everything that you need. Um, you know, and, and you're right. A lot of a lot of books are just full of so much information where people get confused. A, a lay person is, you know, um, it, sometimes it, it's complicated, and there's a lot of scientific words used. We were talking about this the other day when I was looking at your book, and um, you know, most people have trouble following that. And your book is is not like that. It's it's simple to read. It's easy to read. And so if you're wanting to get started on this diet, it's probably one of the best things that you can pick up. Well, well thank you. I think I'm hoping people feel that way. And I also hope that people who have already made this diet transition themselves, they get so excited about it. This is something for them to share with their reluctant spouse or somebody else who, who, needs, to stay, who needs some help too. Yeah, or just to make sure that they're doing it properly, because that is one of the the questions that that people have um, when they do go vegan or vegetarian, um, is how to do it properly. But let's start first with what being a vegan is. Yep, Uh, a vegan diet is is really simple. It just means you're not eating animal products. So vegan is the same as meat-free, dairy-free, egg-free, just you don't have animal products. That's really all it means. Um, However, it's big stuff. Uh, We were funded by NIH in 2003 to test it, uh, this kind of diet for type 2 diabetes, and we've used it for many other things, and it just, it sounds simple, but, but it's head and shoulders above every other diet approach that we have ever tested or seen. Well, I think this is good timing for your book to come out as well. I'm in Canada, and our Canada Food Guide just came out, and one of the recommendations is actually to choose more plant-based proteins, which is, I think, a huge step forward. Um, it, it's such a, a change from any food guide that we've ever had, which focuses on um, you know, eating carbs and, and that kind of thing. Um, and they, they changed it quite a bit, which, of course, created a bit of an uproar. But, you know, that, of course, has created a lot of questions for people who want to follow the guide but don't, don't understand um, what to do. So your book is perfect timing for, for even just if you're not going vegan. But what do you choose when you're choosing that and how do you do it? Yes, exactly. Well, for, I, I do want to say a word of praise to the Canadian government for making that change. I think it really, really was a great step forward, and, and the U.S. guidelines um, are going to be revised soon, and I'm hoping for, uh, for a similar trend. Well, we're getting, you know, a lot of studies out showing that we have gone in the wrong direction. And last year, the World Health Organization recognized uh, red meat and processed meat as um, possibly carcinogenic, which changed a lot of people's views on what they were doing. And I think that probably is what prompted this change. I don't know what prompted the change. But, you know, it it is that we've overdone some things, I think. And um, we need to kind of correct the damage that we've done. Yep, exactly. This is a good time to do it. So what would make somebody choose to be vegan? 
Lots of, lots of reasons. Um, and by the way, I might say that I use the word vegan to refer to the food that a person eats, so they would eat vegan food. But some people say that they are a vegan. I don't use the word that way because it kind of makes you sound like a species of insect or something <laughs> like that. You know, um, so, so I'll say I'm, it's not me that's vegan. It's all my food is vegan food, and I'm just the same old guy. Um, so for a person who is afraid that vegan means they have to be a philosopher or have to have a taste for folk music, um, they do, you don't, none of that comes along with it. Uh, the, the vegan is, is your food. So why would a person do this? Um, it depends a little, well, it, it depends on a person's kind of values and in some cases their age. When it's young people, a lot of young people go vegan. They're doing it because they're concerned about animals. They've seen a video of a slaughterhouse or they heard about how you impregnate cows to, so that they produce, you know, so they, well, as part of the dairy thing. Um, people have heard about that and they end up wanting to have no part in it. Um, many people are going vegan for the environment and I guess it's no secret that the environment is changing rapidly and animal agriculture is far and away the biggest part of it that you can control. Um, and in our work it's health and so for people who want to lose weight people who follow vegan diets are always the group that's closest to a healthy body weight compared to people who eat fish or compared to people who eat meat or, or low carbers or anything like that. The vegan diet is always the best way for, for controlling weight. Uh, also controlling cholesterol. We've seen people with diabetes in our studies improve far more than on any other diet. And in some cases, the diabetes actually just goes away, which is amazing. Uh, chronic pain like rheumatoid arthritis or any autoimmune condition, that's uh, rheumatoid arthritis, asthma, Sjogren's disease, uh, thyroid conditions. Uh, there's, that's really the new area of research. We're finding benefit there. Uh, on my own list, no, the number one disease I'd never want to get is Alzheimer's disease, and there is reason to believe that avoiding animal products will dramatically reduce the risk of Alzheimer's or at least delay it substantially. So those are, those are really some of the reasons. And what we find is that a person comes in because they want to get di diabetes uh, off of their chart or they want to lose weight. As they begin, they start to reflect oftentimes about the good they're doing for the environment or the fact they're not participating in cruelty to animals or whatever. So all the reasons kind of meld together. Well, I'm I'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate because I know that people that are listening are, are going to be thinking this. Now, um, I've, I've done a lot of shows on the environment because I think that has a lot to do with our health. And some of the, the comments about how the, um, the, the cattle is causing our global warming is actually how it's raised. And so there are some people who choose to eat cattle that's grass-fed and, and, and raised a little bit differently and, of course, to eat less. So when we're doing these studies on autoimmunity and all these other health issues, um, is it um, tracked like how much meat we should be eating and the quality of meat? Or, or is it just that these people have switched over to vegans so that they have a, a different quality of life when they do that and we're not sure what they're changing in their meat quality? Um. Well, I guess with regard to a couple of different things, with regard to the environmental issues, I should say, first of all, I'm a physician. I'm not an environmental scientist. However, my dad, grandfather, great-grandfather, and great-great-grandfather, my uncles and cousins are all in the cattle business, <laughs> or all were in the cattle business, and I um, grew up in Fargo, North Dakota. So um, these are good folks, and they never intended to harm the environment. However, um, we raised grass-fed cattle. And if you put all the cattle in North America on one side of the balance, you put all the humans on the other side of the balance, the cows outweigh us. Each one is as big as a sofa. And regardless of whether they're grass-fed or corn-fed, they belch out methane every minute of every day, and it's one of the most potent greenhouse chemicals. And if they are raised on feed grains, then that's a whole other issue. You've got to plant the grain, and you've got to irrigate it, and you've got to provide uh, fertilizer and sometimes pesticides, and that washes into waterways. And so it's, it's, it's not environmentally benign, no matter how you raise the animals, and that's certainly true for chickens and hogs and, and everybody. I don't mean to single out cattle farming. And, and there are environmental issues with regard to plants, too. But um, since animals eat plants, if, you, if you're eating the plants directly, it's just so much more efficient and good. Um, but then to answer your question, is it the, it's, it's, not, it's not that quote-unquote organically raised pasture-fed beef is healthier than 
than, say, feedlot beef, the saturated fat content of it might be marginally lower, but a vegan diet means not eating either one because plant products always have fiber. They have vitamin C. Beef doesn't have, you know, meat products. And not just beef, I mean chicken. It doesn't have any fiber. It doesn't have any vitamin C. It doesn't have the things that we're looking for in our nutrition. So um, now at... There's a, a lot of talk also when people are doing, say, paleo, um, that that also will reverse an autoimmune disease. Um, and, of course, it, I mean, I've, I've seen all the research actually in, in both directions. Um, and I'm just wondering if maybe people are just different and it's changing their diet in general. Um, but, you know, I just want to know what your thoughts on that are. Um. The research on paleo, in my view, is, is thin. It's an attractive diet because it sounds like maybe uh, for men in particular, they might be able to wield a spear and be sort of dressed in a loincloth and, and end up on the cover of Men's Health at some point. But one has to, at some point, begin a clinical trial and really do good, solid studies on these things. And we have done a year-and-a-half-long trial using a low-fat vegan diet compared to a more conventional diet in individuals who have type 2 diabetes. And among those who make no changes in their medications at all, we saw a three times better improvement in their blood sugar control, which is, uh, the, the test we use is hemoglobin A1C. It dropped in the people following the conventional diet, it dropped by 0.4 absolute percentage points, and that's a good drop. But on the vegan diet, it dropped by 1.2, which is three times more. And if you, if you had an oral medication that could drop your A1C by 1.2, absolute percentage points, that's just huge. And that's what we did by eating beans and rice and asparagus and, and simple healthy foods. So, so the, the plant-based diet is just really head and shoulders above other approaches. Well, it, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad you're, you're bringing this forward. I, I do think that we need a shift. And, you know, I get asked a lot what I eat. And, you know, I've done shows on paleo and shows like yours. And, and some people think that they conflict with each other. And, and you know, someone said this to me the other day. And I, I said, well, actually, they, they don't because everybody's different. And our needs and our desires are different. Um, and I, I do think that we overdo some things. You know, I, um, I'm not sure paleo is actually meant to be... As much meat as people are consuming, um, and I, I, I feel like people will often go overboard, especially with the, the keto coming up. Um, you know, people are like meat, 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 where really it's about a, a balance, and you know, not overdoing really anything. And if you have, even if you're doing paleo or keto, if you have too much meat, you're still going to cause a problem. Well, there there is something good in the paleo diet. You know that um, there's no dairy in the diet. Uh, a paleo diet says it, 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 it's sort of an artificial idea that they wanted to start um, after the Stone Age so that you could eat meat because the Stone Age gave us arrowheads and spears so we could kill animals, but before the advent of agriculture. So dairy is not part of it. And that's a good thing. If there's no dairy in your diet, there's, you're going to you're going to eliminate the biggest source of saturated fat. That's the bad fat that's linked to Alzheimer's and heart disease. So, so that's good. You know, it's also a low sugar diet. So, so that's all good too. But the but including meat in the diet is does raise health issues that are important. Um, it inc- meat increases cancer risk. It increases the risk of developing diabetes, and that's true even if it's poultry, even if it's not um, raised using pesticides and things on the feed grains that are fed to the to animals. Um, so g- going from a typical North American diet to a paleo diet might be a good shift for many people. And if they go one step further to a completely plant-based diet, you're knocking out the meat, which is great. You're getting your protein from completely plant sources. So you're getting more vitamins, much more fiber, um, a healthier diet overall. And for, for, I would argue for everybody, that's really a, a good additional change. Um, the funny thing now is the people who are, who are picking up the diet now are not just people with diabetes and weight problems and cholesterol problems. It's athletes, um, which has been a real surprise. Uh, it started with endurance athletes, and now it's the power athletes, the football players, who are going vegan. Um, we, I wouldn't have predicted that 10 years ago, but it's cool to see. So what are the athletes seeing when they become a vegan? Um, well, it's, it started out with these ultra-long-distance runners like Scott Jurek and Brendan Brazier and Rich Roll, who they don't just run a marathon. They run 50 miles or 100 miles at a stretch. And what they found 
part of it is better endurance, but the other part is much faster recovery. So the, the inflammation that often will kick in after a long run, it just is not so bad, and your, your recovery is much quicker. So then a similar thing, uh, Venus Williams in the pro tennis world was maybe the best-known advocate for going vegan, not just for endurance. She you obviously need endurance as a tennis player, but she had Sjogren's disease, which is an autoimmune condition, and a vegan diet just knocked it out, and she got her game back. And then on the male side of the tennis court, it was Novak Djokovic, who... He won Wimbledon. Um, he won the U.S. Open. I think he just won the Australian Open. Um, vegan. He's got. He's got a vegan restaurant. And I, you know, for, for, for them, it's health. It's better endurance, and it's also just all the other reasons, like the environment and everything else. And then after that, uh, um, Lewis Hamilton, the Formula One reigning champion, went vegan, um, and has been very outspoken about how he loves it. And uh, here in the U.S., uh, the football players, the Tennessee Titans. It started out with one of their linebackers who said, I can maintain my muscle mass and I'm faster and you know, quicker uh, as a vegan. And he's got something like 15 of the other football players on his team doing it with them. And they had a really, really great year. It, it really turned them around. Um, you, you, instead of having extra flab, you have extra muscle. You have the oxygenation of your muscles is better because you don't have so much fat in your bloodstream, slowing down your blood flow. Um, you have glycogen buildup, which comes from the healthy carbohydrates. So you've got, and that, those, those are your spare batteries. So I think those are all reasons why athletes want it. But if you're not an athlete, you just want to get across the room or get on the dance floor. Uh, it's, it's a good thing too. Yeah. Um, well, we're going to talk about this more um, when we get back after this break. We're talking today with Neil Barnard, uh, and we're discussing his book, The Vegan Starter Kit, and we'll be back shortly. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today, with one thing that has been consistent inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Everything is energy. It's all connected. Your energy can be seen as the foundation for your life and impacts all areas of living. Do you realize that your thoughts have the power to affect how you show up? Tune in for Healthy Energy with Margot, featuring host Margot Nielsen. Margot and her guests will show you that connecting to your energy is vital to your health, relationships, money, and more. Listen live every Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we're talking with Dr. Neil Barnard, and we're discussing his book, The Vegan Starter Kit. So, Neil, one of the most common questions that people have, um, I know when they're either um, trying to eat uh, vegan or vegetarian or even just cutting meat back, is what do you do about protein? Yeah, it's a great question and luckily a super easy one. Uh, When I was a kid growing up, we had this idea Basically, in Fargo, we ate roast beef, baked potatoes, and corn, and except for special occasions <laughs> when it was roast beef, baked potatoes, and peas. But of um, we, we, we had the we had the idea that the meat was the protein, and that the potato was just starch and it didn't have any protein, and the vegetables, like whether it was corn or 
green beans or peas or broccoli. We thought that those have vitamins but not protein. So the only thing with protein was the meat. So if you take away the meat, where is your protein? Well, um, government authorities would say that a woman should have maybe 46 grams of protein a day. A man, maybe 56 grams of protein a day on, on average. So if you ate no meat at all, but let's say you ate broccoli, just in fact as an experiment, nothing but broccoli for the whole day, and you eat maybe 2,000 calories of food, and, but it's only going to be broccoli today, you'd think there, there's no protein in that. There might be vitamins, but no protein. It turns out that if you ate 2,000 calories of broccoli, you would get 146 grams of pure protein. And the next day, let's do it with lentils. Uh, that's just starchy food, isn't it? Uh-uh. If you ate, if lentils was all you ate in a day and you ate your normal portion sizes, you'd get 157 grams of pure protein. So in other words, you're getting more than three times the amount of protein that your body needs from these plant foods. And so if we look around at a horse or an elephant or a giraffe or a bull, you know, these are vegan animals and they're getting these rippling muscles from eating plant food. So plants have lots of protein. It's, it's, I'm happy to tell you it's not an issue at all. As long as you're eating uh, any normal variety of vegetables and fruits and beans and grains, you'll get all the protein you need. So how does somebody calculate that, though? Because I, I know when you're switching over um, to any diet, like even if you're just saying you want to cut out gluten or something, it is very difficult to to modify that to your body's needs and calories because you're changing how you're eating and you're not sure what's happening. So how does somebody go about calculating that they're eating enough protein in a day? Um, well, first of all, let me be clear. You don't have to calculate protein. You will always get adequate protein as long as you're eating a variety of plant foods and you're eating uh, enough to just maintain your weight. You know, where people, if people are low in protein, that means they're starving. So if you're in a place where you're just not getting food, you could be low in protein. But you're, you're an average person anywhere in the world who's eating a normal variety of plant-based foods will get adequate protein. It's, it's just not an issue at all. Um, if you wanted to calculate it, you could meet with a registered dietitian or go online and, and um, try to sort it out that way by writing down everything you eat, but I would encourage you not to bother. There are other nutrients that are, that are an issue where you will want to look at, am I getting my calcium or B12, but I'm happy to tell you that protein is, is not an issue. You're going to get more than enough. And In our research studies, we track that. And we've had thousands of people come in, and protein never has turned out to be an issue, and it just isn't. Mm. And, and, and by the way, that's true for athletes. Um, you can be an Olympic athlete. You'll get more than enough protein on a plant-based diet. So, you know, that, that it's good to hear that. I think the only issue where we're seeing that is when people are either not eating three meals a day or they're just eating like noodles and, you know, carbs and that's it. And they're not adding anything else to it, which is actually more common than um, we think. Um, you know, it, w- w- that is a big concern for people. That's always their first thing is where am I going to get protein? But what you're saying is basically just eat, you know, lots of vegetables and make sure you have a proper healthy meal and you'll be okay. Well, let let me be clear. I'm not encouraging people to only eat vegetables. Um, There are really four healthy food groups, vegetables, fruits, um, the bean group, or I might might call it the legume group because it's beans, peas, and lentils. And they have huge amounts of protein. And then also the grain group. And there's protein in grains. So vegetables, fruits, whole grains, beans, um, those four groups should really make, those should be your staples. And protein will, will not be an issue um, for you. Um, calcium can be an issue um, because you're not drinking milk anymore. And we think of calcium as coming from milk. So that will require some planning. We should talk about that a little bit too. Um yeah, so so first I would just want to talk about what um, a, an actual meal would look like. So if somebody's switching over from the meat and potatoes, um, maybe give an example of what you eat in a day just so that people can understand what this looks like. Okay, sure. Um, let's say I eat for lunch meat chili every day. Well, now I'm not going to have meat chili. I'll have bean chili. And tonight we're going to an Italian restaurant and they're going to serve me soup. Um, I would have uh, maybe the lentil soup or the pasta e fagiole or the minestrone and the salad. Salad's going to be vegan. It's not, not a big issue. And then when they bring my angel hair pasta or my spaghetti, instead of topping it with a cheese sauce or meat sauce, I would top it with a tomato sauce, like an arrabbiata sauce or whatever. Um, and you might have grilled vegetables on the side. And if you want to have an espresso at the end of the meal, knock yourself out. Um, so those are, those are some choices. Um, uh, when, when people, quote-unquote, think internationally, 
Italian food, Mexican food, like instead of the meat taco, have the bean burrito or the veggie fajitas, um, Chinese foods, or Japanese foods. If you're at a sushi bar, skip the fish sushi. You can have the cucumber sushi or asparagus sushi or the tofu sushi or something like that. Um, there's plenty of choices there, um, far more choices than we had when I was a kid growing up in Fargo. Um, well, you know, that just sounds like what you're normally eating, except for instead of choosing, as you said, the meat sauce, you're just choosing something without meat, but you're still going out for dinner. You're not restricted in that way, which is always a concern for people, I think, when they're um, changing their how they're eating. First is, how do you eat out? And also, how do you do this um, in a hurry? So if somebody, say, is very busy, you know, they've got kids and they're running around, they're working full time and their kids are involved in a ton of stuff, what can they do um, that that fits that kind of lifestyle? In our research studies, I always do a little survey. I ask, who, who in this group likes to, to cook? And about half the hands go up. And I say, who in this group is completely allergic to cooking? And the other half of the hands go up, where people say, I just can't do it. Um, and a healthy vegan diet will change your health, but it won't change your personality. So if you're too busy to cook and too you just don't like it, then that's going to be true for you even on a vegan diet. So what do you do? Uh, what are you eating now? If you're going to the store and you're picking up a frozen cheese pizza, go to the store and right next to it is the frozen vegan pizza and bring that home. And if you zap these things um, in the microwave, you know, there, there are plenty of, of frozen choices for you. Uh, the, the, the list of these is enormous. If your morning is just uh, milk on your cereal, Try almond milk or soy milk or oat milk or rice milk or hemp milk or one of the others and see which variety you like the best. Get two or three or four. And do you like it uh, vanilla flavored or chocolate flavored or, or whatever? So I encourage people to take a week and just test out the foods that they like and see which ones they want. If they want convenience foods, there's millions of them out there. Instead of a meat burger, you can get the veggie burger. They're frozen. You just zap them and they're ready in, in an instant. Uh, same with fast food chains. If you go to... Most of the burger places have a veggie burger, just like a meat burger. The taco places have uh, the bean burritos. And you'll find that it's, it's, uh, it takes no more time than it does uh, to, to be a meat eater. Um, yeah, I think that's good to, to point out because I know anytime I talk to anybody about changing their diet, no matter what else we talk about in the consultation, this is where people get stressed out the most because changing your lifestyle, of course, um, it, 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 it you have to create a habit. So it does take about a month and you have to figure it out and you have to have the time to figure it out. And then you have to find what you like because you already know what you like, but you're changing that. And so, like you said, try different milks and try different beans and try different recipes recipes or or just buying different things if you're not cooking just to see what will fit into your tastes and and your lifestyle and what works for you yeah you know in fact we have formalized that and we 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 do exactly that in our studies we ask people to do it in two steps the first step is they take a week and we just ask them to explore the options that have no animal products at all and just test them out without actually eliminating anything from their diet. And once they found what they like for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and so forth, we ask them to take three weeks, do it all vegan all the time, but it's only 21 days. That's more than enough time to get a habit started, and it just changes their life. They're, they're losing weight easily, their blood sugars are improving, and their tastes are drifting toward healthier and healthier foods. Well, that, I think that's the important part if you just ask people to commit for a certain period of time and then they see the changes that, that they really want to do. Um, you know, if you're, say you're diabetic and your blood sugars are getting better and you're losing weight, well, that's pretty amazing because usually people are struggling with that once they become diabetic. And so if they're seeing those changes, of course, it, it, why wouldn't they want to continue with it? Yes. Um, although, you know, addictions can kick in. So a person might um, fall off the wagon a little, <laughs> a little bit. Um, they're at the cheese bar and they called their name or, or yeah. uh, you know, they went to the steakhouse with their friends and they thought they were just going to eat the side vegetables and they goofed up. If that ever happens, I encourage people not to moralize too much. Just dust yourself off and get back on. Well, it, you know, are there some people that, say, embrace this for um, – just let's say 80%, but they still sometimes will eat some animal protein, um, but maybe just not every day or all the time? Um, there are people who do that, and frankly, any change you make is a good change. So if a person is a, a daily meat eater and they cut it down, that's really a good change. But whenever anybody raises that, says, should I have animal protein sometimes, you have to remind them that if they're eating meat, they're not getting animal protein. They're getting animal protein, animal fat, 
the occasional salmonella. You know, they're getting <laughs> cholesterol. So although they like to advertise it as being as if it's 100% pure protein, it isn't. Um, if you went to the store and you got skinless chicken breast, it's about maybe a quarter of it is just fat. So um, so that's that's what we're getting to. And the other reason why I encourage people to to be strict with it. Um, at, at some point, let's say you've been doing 80%. At some point, do it 100%. What we find is that their cholesterol just suddenly takes a drop. It's that last little bit that matters. They, they finally conquer their weight problem. Um, their, their diabetes suddenly comes under better control. And then the other thing, it's like a smoker. When a smoker finally just quits and they get it out of their life, then it doesn't call their name so much anymore rather than kind of struggling with it and always having it be an issue. So, so it, it helps to, to be 100% at some point when you get around to it. Well, you did say that um, people do have cravings. So is meat something that we, we crave and we could be, be addicted to? I think so, yes. Um, and now that sounds like a funny thing to say. But <laughs> the reason I say that is let's take um, strawberry. Very tastes very nice on a hot summer day, but you never heard anybody who, who ate a whole quart of strawberries. They just couldn't get enough. Um, but there are other foods where people do overdo it. I'm thinking about sugar. So how many people wanted to have one cookie? And then it was two, and it was three, and it was four. Um, chocolate is the same way. Cheese is that way, and meat can be that way as well. Um, and one of the ways we sort this out is with, we use a, a drug called naloxone. In research studies, it's, it's an opiate blocker. And if I give this opiate blocker, what it's doing is it's just stopping the receptors in the brain that respond to opiates. They no longer will respond to opiates. And it's used for heroin overdose. But if you give it to a chocolate addict, they don't care about chocolate so much anymore. And what we're proving, by the way, this is not a treatment. This is a, a research tool that just shows us that a lot of the desire for chocolate is not taste and mouthfeel. It's something going on within the brain. And that's true for sugar, and it appears to be true for cheese and also for meat. But, you know, if you like strawberries or apples, it, it doesn't have the same drug-like effect. Hmm, that's interesting. You know, I, I, I knew that um, cheese was addictive, and it's very evident if you've ever asked somebody to, to stop eating dairy or you've tried it yourself. That's usually um, the most difficult part for people is they just really want their, their cheese, and it's hard for them to recognize that, that that's an addiction until they go and eat some after being off of it for a while and realize how it's not their friend. Um, but, you know, I think it's important to, to recognize that um, – that that is happening. So when we're making these changes, it might be difficult at first because cravings, and I've done shows on cravings, they're not logical and they're they're a little bit beyond our, our own reasoning. They're a lot beyond our reasoning. So um, to recognize that, you know, you could be having cravings for these and, and not be so hard on yourself. Yeah, I, I do think if a person gives into a craving, you know, you don't, there's no reason to beat, beat yourself up. And it has nothing to do with you. It has to do with the fact that this food is not a food. It's a drug. Um, and there are certain foods that are just like that. They just behave that way. But you just dust yourself off, get back on the wagon. This also argues for not letting these foods in your life because you, you will crave today what you ate yesterday. If you haven't had chocolate for too much, you're not craving it today. But if you had it yesterday at 5 o'clock, it sets the alarm and you want it again. Same, if you haven't had meat, in a year, you're not thinking about it. Um, mm -hmm. So it, the, the patterns that we get into really help us to, to quiet those cravings in a good way. Um, which is um, helpful for people to understand, I think, because I, I think we're also, you know, more addicted than just um, meat and, and dairy, you know, as you mentioned, sugar. And um, th this is one of our problems that has taken us down this road where we're becoming so unhealthy. We are in, a, I, I, I think, a global health crisis, at least in the Western world, where um, people are struggling and, and the big struggle with diet, uh, with with health is actually diet and so we do need to make these changes yeah we, we sure we sure do and the, and the good news is no matter how far along you've gone it's virtually never too late to make a change we've seen people who've had diabetes for years and in some cases it goes away with a diet change I, and, and by the i'm talking about a vegan diet um in other cases it improves people who've got neuropathy where they've got terrible pains in their feet people who are sort of headed toward dialysis. If we can make a big enough change for that person, I don't care how old you are, you can improve. 
heart disease can open up again. People who have been diagnosed with cancer can use foods to hopefully improve their survival. Nothing's perfect, and I'm not suggesting that people don't have medical care as well, but food is the biggest part of your health, and people can really put it to use uh, and profit from it. Well, that's perfect. Um, we're going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Neil Barnard, and we're discussing his book, The Vegan Starter Kit, and we'll be back shortly. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Are you tired of the healthcare system only treating your symptoms and never addressing the root cause? Discover how integrative medicine can resolve health issues through dietary and lifestyle changes and the use of natural supplements. Increase your energy, memory, mood, immune system, sexuality, and more. Join Dr. Sunil Pai and Maureen Sutton to help you take back your health with natural, evidence-based solutions. Tune in every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness Channel. Addiction can affect our relationships, our families, our home, and work lives, but most importantly, ourselves. The recovery process can do wonders in the lives of people suffering from active addiction and also for those that love them. It's not just 12-step programs, but so much more. It's learning how to live life on life's terms. If you can relate to these issues or love someone who does, start with yourself. Start by tuning in to Miracles in Recovery with host Ray Lynch, Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Hope is in your corner. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Riss. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we're talking with Dr. Neil Barnard, and he is the author of the Vegan Starter Kit. So, Neil, one thing you did mention in the last segment, and I I know this is probably a a big question for people, you know, if you're cutting out um, dairy, people always question, where are you going to get calcium? Um, so, So what do you recommend for people? Oh, that, that, that is a great question. It does come up uh, for people who are drinking milk because they think of milk as the source of calcium. But it's important to know that cows don't actually make calcium at all. Calcium is an element, and it's in the earth. And so it gets into the roots of grass, and it gets into the, the leaves of, of grass. So the cow eats the grass, and then some of that calcium ends up in their milk. And if you drink milk, you absorb maybe 32% of the calcium and the other uh, remaining calcium, 68%, I guess, um, just goes out with your waste. It doesn't even get past your digestive tract wall at all. Um, now, what if instead you ate the calcium directly? Um, it doesn't just get into grass, but it gets into broccoli and kale and collards and, and uh, all kinds of other plants. And if you eat the, these green vegetables directly, hopefully not grass, but hopefully palatable green vegetables, you will have not only all the calcium you need, but it's in a higher absorption fraction. It varies a lot from plant to plant, but it's roughly about maybe 50% of the calcium in green vegetables is absorbed, with a couple of exceptions. Spinach, uh, Swiss chard have pretty low absorption, but broccoli, Brussels sprouts, kale, collards, very high absorption. And plus, let's say you have milk. You get calcium, but along with it, you get saturated fat or you get sugar. If, If it's skim milk, lactose sugar is the biggest nutrient. You don't need that at all. But if you're having broccoli, you get calcium plus beta-carotene, plus fiber, 
plus uh, protein in its healthiest form. So it's really good to get your calcium from what nature thought you were going to do, which is to eat your vegetables. But I'm I'm glad that you've um, that we brought this up. You know, it, it it I take a lot of people off dairy, and and that is a question that comes up a lot. And I actually like to point out to people that in North America we consume more dairy than anywhere else in the world, and we actually have more incidences of bone density problems, um, osteopenia and osteoporosis. So obviously the dairy isn't doing it for us. And um, you know, I think if we make the shift towards diets um, that are more plant based and we eat more vegetables, just for from what you said, instead of 32% calcium absorption, we're getting 50% from the vegetables. I mean, that's amazing. It is. And, you know, it's, dairy is an interesting thing. Um, when people break away from it, for whatever reason, they get some surprises. We've had people where their asthma went away or their rheumatoid arthritis or their migraines went away. What these have in common is that they are sensitivities. And what I believe they're reacting to is not, in this case, the milk fat, which is been criticized because it's mostly saturated fat. In this case, it, they, people seem to be reacting to the milk protein. And I don't encourage anyone to just take this on faith, but let's say you have migraines. Try a completely vegan diet for a month or two months. Or same if you have asthma. Or if you have a child who has asthma, run. Do not walk. Run to a vegan, completely vegan diet. Because if you can get that child off their inhaler and allow them to, to really live again, it it is just the most wonderful thing. So everyone gets their own result. Not everyone is going to have their asthma or whatever go away on a plant-based diet, but so many do that it is really worth trying it. And, and for these conditions, dairy is the, the, the big suspect here. Um, you know, it's definitely an observation that I've seen as well. And, um, you know, it, I'm so happy now in the Canada Food Guide, instead of saying to drink a glass of milk, they actually tell, are telling people to drink water. Um, you know, and, and really that is what we should be doing. We need to drink water. <laughs> and most people are either drinking milk or pop or juice and forgetting that they need to be hydrated. And really, you know, we're not, as you say, we're not getting the cal- very much calcium from the dairy anyway so it isn't that detrimental to our health to whether we have dairy or not yeah it's a good switch for people to make um and the the truth is you know as you said physiologically the only beverage you actually need after the age of weaning is water so in in an ideal world children would would be breastfed by their mom and uh then after that they they would transition to solid foods and to water uh, that's amazing. So now, when when you um, be, uh, decide to eat a vegan diet, is there anything that you need to be aware of supplement-wise that you might be missing? Oh, great question. Um, vitamin B12 should be supplemented. And, and vitamin B12 is an interesting one because it's not made by animals or plants. Vitamin B12 is something you need for healthy nerves. You need it for healthy blood. But vitamin B12 is actually made by bacteria. Um, And people speculate that before the advent of modern hygiene, when there were bacteria in the soil and on our fingers and on the vegetables we would pull up from the soil and presumably in our mouths and all over the place, you might get the traces of of B12 that you need. And whether that's true or not, it is hard to know. But but certainly those days are gone. Uh, Modern hygiene has eliminated that. Uh, Now, meat eaters will get some B12 because in a cow's intestinal tract, the bacteria make B12, and it will get into the milk and the meat. But a lot of people don't absorb it very well because to pull the B12 off of the protein, you need um, stomach acid, and if you are on an acid blocker or you're over 50 and not making so much stomach acid, if you're on metformin for diabetes, all these things make B12 harder to absorb. So that's why doctors like me encourage people to take a B12 supplement because you can absorb it whether you have stomach acid or not. Um, and it's, it, it, it's not hard to find. It's in every multiple vitamin you ever took. They have B12 in them. Or you can just go to the store and just get B12. But on a vegan diet, it's really essential to have a B12 supplement. But I recommend that people, no matter what diet they're on, that they take B12. And the amount you need as an adult is 2.4 micrograms. All the pills have more than that. And it's not dangerous if you, if you end up taking too much. 
Well, and, and, you know, as you said, most people should be taking it. And I think it's really rare unless somebody has already, you know, dealt with their B12. I usually see B12 as being low. So, you know, I don't think it matters whether you're eating meat or not about the absorption and, and how you're getting it, as you say, um, is probably something that everybody needs. Yeah. Now, vitamin D is another one. Um, it, this doesn't actually relate to diet. It relates to the sun, to the sun because vitamin D on your skin produce, or I'm sorry, sunlight on your skin produces vitamin D. And vitamin D helps you absorb calcium and it may have an anti-cancer effect. And let's say you happen to live in the far north and it's wintertime and you're not out sunbathing. Um, or you might live in sunny Southern California, but you're using a sunscreen then you're not making vitamin D anymore. So in those circumstances, people should take a vitamin D supplement. And most doctors would say about 2,000 international units of vitamin D a day is, is healthy and safe. Um, if you are getting sun exposure for even maybe 20 minutes or so on your, your face and hands, for most people, that'll give them the vitamin D that they need. Mm, that's great. Um, so now one thing that is um, going around in the world right now is, of course, the paleo and, and the keto uh, craze is, is even bigger. And keto, they, both of those do focus on uh, dietary fats, so to get fat in your diet. And, of course, if and they focus on especially keto doing that with meat and, and dairy. Um, is there, um, but like, what do you do if you're eating vegan? Where do you get your fat from? Um, well, First of all, I, I, would, I would encourage people not to follow a ketogenic or a paleo diet. But um, there are, you do need traces of fat in your diet. You don't need much, but maybe 2 or 3% of your calories should come from fat. And the fats you need, the, the technical names are alpha-linolenic acid and linoleic acid. You don't have to remember that, but they're in plants. Uh, uh, so if a person is eating a lot of green leafy vegetables, you don't think of them as having a lot of fat, and they don't have very much fat. Maybe 8 or 9% of their calories are fat. And However, the quality of the fat, it's, it's, it's um, heavily weighted toward the healthy omega-3 alpha-linolenic acid. So you'll get what you need. Um, if you decide, I'm going to have it from meat, well, you'll get a little bit of the good fat, but you get such a lot of the bad fat. That's the saturated fat that's linked to cholesterol problems and Alzheimer's. So we wouldn't want to go there. Um, well, I, th- I think that's important to to point out. And, you know, I I I say this um, this a lot that I often wonder if people do well on those diets because they weren't eating very well to start with. And the shift to eating paleo and keto, of course, includes a lot of vegetables and cuts out a lot of the uh, processed food and and that kind of thing. So people are going to feel better if they're making that kind of shift. Um, it, it, you know, and I I don't think I'm against any diet. I don't particularly follow one. Um, I just uh, I feel like we just need to eat better um, and uh, I, I don't know what obviously you have a different opinion but I, I think we need to eat less of a lot of the bad stuff more of the good stuff and no matter what diet we're following we should be more uh, have more plants than anything else in it you know your vegetables should be um, a bigger portion on your plate than your meat or whatever else is on there I, I agree with you um, I think we do need to make this kind of shift and let me also be clear we're playing for keeps here we're not talking about just, um, am I going to look better in my swimsuit? Half of people in North America die of a heart attack. Um, and if you've got diabetes, your life is going to be 10 or 15 years shorter than other people. And along the way, the, 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 uh, the, the risks of blindness and amputation, these are huge. Many people are unhappy. They're often much more overweight than they would ever want to be, and they're not finding answers. And they try a ketogenic diet or something like that, and they, it's a fad for them, and after a couple of months, they abandon it. Um, one in every three low-carb dieters has a massive increase in their cholesterol level. So that's why I suggest us to take this seriously. It's, I would encourage people especially if you're planning a diet not just for you, but for somebody you love. Let's say it's your spouse or your kids. Help them to really eat vegetables and fruits and whole grains and beans. And There's lots of ways of making it really flavorful and, and familiar, um, but you, you'll never know which life you're going to save, but I guarantee you you'll save many of them. And so if, if a person is concerned about things like my risk of cancer or my risk of other serious health problems or the fact my joints are just killing me, um, getting on a healthy diet can 
can really be an incredible life-changing experience. So now, um, are there some people who shouldn't um, eat a vegan diet, you know, say if you're pregnant or children, or are there certain illnesses that, that people shouldn't be doing this with? Um, a, a vegan diet is, is a recipe for every stage of life, and inc- including pregnancy, and I would say even especially pregnancy and early childhood. Um, when, people, when women have, have gone vegan, particularly prior to pregnancy and throughout their pregnancy, the risk of complications of pregnancy is less. The risk of gestational diabetes is less. Um, the nutrition they are getting is better. And then when you're breastfeeding and raising a small child, you don't want cow's milk proteins in your diet as a nursing mother because some of these protein fragments end up actually passing into your bloodstream and into your own breast milk. This was, this was actually a big surprise. It was researchers in St. Louis found that breastfed babies were getting some of the dairy proteins from their dairy-consuming mothers <laughs> and enough to cause the babies to get colicky and if the mother would stop consuming ice cream or whatever it was, the kids would get better. So, no, a, a vegan diet is great for every stage of life um, and uh, the, there, there's, there's no reason not to do it, but there's every reason to plan it out and, and to do it well. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, I think any diet should be done well, especially if you are ill or you're pregnant or, you know, a growing child, of course, needs their nutrients. And um, as we've discussed in this show, that, of course, we're we're in a health crisis and, um, you know, and we're in a, a global crisis as well with, with climate change. I mean, we've got minus 50 degree Celsius temperatures in Canada right now, and they're saying that this is from, you know, the, the global climate climate change. And um, of course, if we consume less meat, we can help to change that. So for our own sakes, whether it's our own health or the health of our planet, you know, we do need to make changes into this direction. Yes, I I certainly completely agree. And and I, my own (laughs) eating habits and those of my family contributed to all these problems, but it's never too late to change. I certainly have and, and hopefully others will too. Yeah, that's great. So if anybody has any questions um, or they want to get a hold of your book or you, how can they do so? Oh, well, thank you for asking. Um, my organization is the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, PCRM. And if you look online at pcrm.org, you'll see lots of information, including a free 21-day vegan kickstart, where every day you get emails with menus and recipes and cooking videos all for free. Uh, you'll see the book, The Vegan Starter Kit, there online. Um, but it's also on all of the online ordering places. And frankly, if there's a bookstore in your community, they'd love to have your, your business, too. So I hope people give it, get a chance to check it out. 45 minutes, read it, see what you think, and put it to work for about three weeks and see if it doesn't change your life. Uh, Well, perfect. Thank you so much for joining me today. This was a a great show. Thank you. It was fun talking with you today. So uh, today we were talking with Dr. Neil Bernard, and we are discussing his book, The Vegan Starter Kit. And just like he said, it is an easy read. So whether you're thinking of becoming vegan or just cutting back on meat for your your own sake um, or the sake of your family, this is a, a good place to start to get the information that you need and a, an easy read so it won't take you forever to figure out what you need to do. Um, if you want more information about what I went through on my health journey, you can um, find that on my website at dr-risk.com. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, or all your favorite social media platform. And thank you so much for listening today. Be sure to make today a great day. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Please join Dr. Rebecca Risk again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk more next week. 